and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. What seems to have been some of the simmering unhappiness among members of the Personal Finance Society about the organisation's relationship with its parent, the Chartered Insurance Institute, seems to have boiled over. Uh, just before Christmas, the CII announced it would appoint a majority of directors to the PFS board, alleging failed mediation attempts and poor governance issues. Uh, PFS members have contested these claims and accused the CII of a hostile takeover attempt. Uh, the current PFS president, amongst others at the organisation, have resigned. I'm Damien Fantato, Deputy Editor of FT Advisor, and this week we're going to have a chat with two people who have two slightly different takes on the events of the past week to see if we can understand what might come next and what a way forward might be for uh, the PFS, the CII and the financial advisors who are its, its members. Uh, with me are Sarah Lord, immediate past president of the PFS, and Richard Bishop, a financial advisor and author. Hello both. Hi. Uh, so we'll start with you. Uh, what was your reaction to the events of, of the past uh, few weeks? Um, I think I think the first thing to say is really I was um, deeply saddened by the action taken by the CII on the 21st of December, particularly given the timing just before Christmas um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my overwhelming uh, response, I suppose, was deeply saddened that we find ourselves in this position, having been president for the previous two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, what about you? Uh, well, I'm not, uh, just to put us to a sort of where I am on it, really, I'm not a member of either organisation, but um, we do quite a lot of corporate governance, especially with charities and non-for-profits. So the reason I sort of got involved in it really is because it's just a very interesting case, the kind of case that we see quite a lot, where you've got the, sort of the nuances between the two organisations. But, I mean, overall, I think, the see what the, the the actions the CII have taken are, are not going to end very well. I don't. I just don't see how how it's really going to pan out um, with with what they've done with the with the takeover. But we'll see, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this has been um, sev- this has been in many in many respects the culmination of of of. of several years of events, uh, include starting or maybe going back to the uh, CIA's decision not to replace Keith Richards when he when he left the, the, the PFS as its chief executive. Um, in that context, Sarah, what do you, would you consider to be the state of the, of the relationship between the CIA and the PFS? Um, I think at the moment um, the relationship, sadly, is at an all-time low. Um, I think you're right that, um, you know, the departure of Keith um, back in June 2021 was a pivotal moment as far as um, kind of the status of the PFS. At the time, the PFS board um, member directors were very clear that we felt that there needed to be a figurehead, a leader for the PFS. Um But I think, you know, the relationship has coexisted since the PFS formation 18 years ago. Um, And for the majority of that time, that relationship has been um, mutually beneficial to both organisations and they've coexisted side by side, um, you know, should we say, reasonably happily um, for the majority of that time. It's only recently, in the recent years, that I think, um, you know, the relationship has become fractious um, for various reasons. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, it's it's important to recognise that 
some of that divergence in relationship, I think, is has in part also been driven by the divergence in the sectors. So when the PFS was originally formed 18 years ago, um, there was much more alignment, shall we say, um, with the insurance sector in with the financial advice sector. But what we've seen in between time is essentially RDR um, and the impact that that's had on our profession. And that, I I personally think, has driven a greater divergence between the sectors and different needs of the membership um, within the Chartered Insurance Institute and the Personal Finance Society. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, there's... there's <laughs> I think it's important that listeners are aware that, you know, the relationship has coexisted um, on on a good footing, shall we say, for many years. It's only in the recent years that it has become more challenging. Mm-hmm. Richard, uh, how would you uh, summarise what you think, is, as you said, you're not a member of either organisation. From an outsider's perspective, what would you say is the state of the, the relationship between the two organisations? Well, I think from my sort of just a perspective of doing some research because I mean I was asked about a few months ago when this was kicking off by several people to go and look at the articles of association that's kind of where I've come into it really so I think as Sarah says I don't I think um, the relationship's always been good I think it was pivotal I know Keith reasonably well um, and I think his leaving was a was a was a pivotal moment because I think he really was the glue that kind of held it all together so um, I would agree with Sarah it's sort of the recent times it's sort of become a problem i think really and then sarah will know better than me i think the, the, the two real issues really are is one is that the the corporate governance has always been that the pfs is a it's basically if it, if it was shareholders then it would be owned by the by the cii so the, the cii to use that word owns the pfs they, no one can get around that because that's how it was it was originally done in 2004 um and as Sarah says, that hasn't really been an issue. I think the main problem is is the 19 or 20 million pounds. That's this is the issue that's really at, I think it's the heart of it because the CII uh, again I can't I don't know exactly, but um, it, it would appear the CII want the PFS to use those assets, um, the PFS assets, and the CII wants access to them. I don't know whether Sarah wants to comment on that. Is that pretty fair? I think, you know, obviously I'm in a position having been a board director for six years and president for two years. um, I'm obviously privy to confidential information, which, you know, listeners need to respect that, you know, it would be unprofessional. Feel feel free to divulge (laughs) that uh, confidential information. No, I'm no longer president, Sarah. Let's let's, let's get this this out in the air. I was, I I think it would be wholly uh, unprofessional of me to disclose confidential information i think one of the one of the key things around this is you know that there is a lot of speculation around money um and you know whether it is um you know there is shall we say a hidden agenda um around 
the finances. One of the key things um, in relation to this is the fact that the PFS articles of association clearly state that the assets and reserves of the PFS must be used in line with the objects. And the clear object of the articles of association is um, the facilitation and promotion of financial advice. So it is very clear that um, as directors of the PFS board, the fiduciary duties rest obviously with the PFS as a company and also in relation to those assets. Um, and I think, you know, that that potentially is where the challenge lies. There has been, you know, public statements around um, whether the PFS has paid its way over the years, you know, m my choice of words there. Um, and, you know, one thing is um, many listeners may not be aware of, um, although, you know, over the last couple of weeks or so, it, it, it's being, it is, it's sadly being played out in public, is that the, the relationship between the CII and the PFS has always been such that the CII provide services to the PFS. The PFS has its own, no infrastructure of its own. So naturally, the PFS is paying the CII for those services. And one of the things that is being brought into challenge, shall we say, is whether... <laughs> The PFS is play, paying fair value, has been paying fair value over the years, or indeed whether that, you know, um, whether that amount should be higher. Um, I think it's always the case when, you know, you look at kind of corporate takeovers, money money does does often have a part to play in these situations. Um, so, you know, there's, there's possibly an element around, around the money there. I think there's a, also another important thing. We're just talking about kind of Keith's departure as well. Um, Keith was an employee of the CII. So, he, you know, do, the appointment of Don McIntyre, which again has, has been challenged, shall we say, with some of the public statements that have been made by the CII. Um, the appointment of Don McIntyre as the interim CEO, and he's very much acting as the interim CEO, um, was the first appointment by the PFS. Um, and I think that's an important aspect that people understand as well as to how that relationship with the CII and the PFS has kind of coexisted over the years, mm -hmm. um, I suppose we're we're, we're moving towards uh, the next uh, topic of discussion. I suppose, which is what um, what it is that PFS members can do now. Obviously, there's a there's a, there's a lot of unhappiness about some of the actions of the past uh, past few weeks. Um, um, I, th I think this is. I think um, I wanted to prejudge. This is an area where I think, but the two of you have slightly different take, takes. So, Richard, what, what, what's your opinion on, on what it is that PFS members might be able to do uh, to do now about this, if if, if anything? Well, it, it really depends just how far the PFS members want to want to take the relationship away from CII. Effectively, that I think that's the the first question. Is 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 if if if, if it's a case the members feel they'd be better off without the CII um, on their own. I mean, there's lots of things they can do. I mean, if, if all the PFS board members on the board resign, then it will, it will cripple the company. I mean, that's, that could be the first option because obviously they can't um, form, a, form a board of directors without 
six well i think it's the articles it's up to six pfs members and two lay members and then technically unlimited amounts of cai um, directors so if all the pfs members re directors resign and then all the members agree not to be appointed as a director then that will pretty much cripple the situation because they won't be able to form board to then in my opinion technically then to try and force the pfs to um align their assets to the cii so we say so that's one thing they can do uh, that would end up in court but um the other one you can take action under section 944 of the company act so um you can get the members can go to court and say we're not happy with what the directors are doing again so there's, there's those kind of two options but i think that the main problem you've got is is that the cii um I've got access to those assets for the, from the PFS. It doesn't matter what members think, whether it's right or wrong. That, that the assets are in control of, of the CII, and they've got it. They've got duties to protect the CII. So, you, if the CII was to turn around and say, "We need ten million, otherwise the CII is going to go into liquidation," then they can take the ten million. So. It's a question really of how much trouble does the PFS want to make? And I would suggest probably not too much trouble because the other issue you've got is if the CII goes into liquidation, if the PFS members don't support the CII on the assumption that the CII does need um, some money, some capital to finish off their alleged investment in technology, if the PFS members... PF PFS members cause the CII more, more issues and the, the CII then goes into liquidation, it will drag the PFS into liquidation as well because it will be reversed because you won't have any CII directors to be able to form a board at the PFS. So if it, uh, the, uh, as an overview, the PFS members can cause the CII a whole bunch of trouble, as much trouble as they want, but they're going to have to think long and hard about the implications of, of, of any actions they take. So, what's your what's your reaction to that? And then I'll, we can touch on what you think might happen. What you what PFS members might want to do next? Yeah, I think you know, uh, Richard, there makes some valid points of obviously the actions that PFS members or indeed member direct directors could take. Um, it is my personal view that it is not in the PFS memberships' um, best interests, for example, for um, the CII to fail. The reason I say that is because this, you know, the, because of the structure, um, the CII is a provider of um, statements of professional standing for tw about twenty-five thousand PFS members, and though the majority of those members whose SPSs are provided by the CII are dependent on them to be able to trade, which ultimately has an impact on their livelihoods. So, you know, that's one of the key things to consider. There is obviously also um, the CII is the chartered body. The PFS isn't the chartered body. So again, you know, I, I'm a chartered financial planner. I have great pride in the fact that I've achieved being a chartered financial planner. Um, and I would like to carry on being able to use that designation. I think, you know, there's a lot of things at play here. There's a lot of key considerations. I mean, um, and also kind of... Um, one of the one of the key aspects, which I'm sure um, Richard would agree with me on, is that the action and the notice given by the CII on the 21st of December 
Under the Articles of Association, the PFAS um, board has the ability to consult with members for 30 days um, or a a 30-day consultation period, which, given the timing and Christmas and and everything, means that that the time frame is particularly tight, shall we say, because we've had extra bank holidays and everything in there. And then um, following that consultation period which given the notice on the 21st, basically the consultation period ends um, next week, next Thursday, 19th. Um, There is seven days in which the PFS board can um, provide feedback from that consultation to the CII um, for the CII to consider. But the way in which the relationship is constructed, the CII don't have to I'm not saying this will play out but they don't have to take on board that consultation feedback um and they can continue you know if that consultation feedback is very strong against the action that has taken been taken by the CII um the CII can disregard that feedback and continue on this course of action so I think it is important that PFS members that have a view that have a strong view and are passionate about our profession are sort of speaking out and using their voice and, um, you know, um, in this period uh, of kind of consultation. And, you know, I'm no longer a board director. Um, I'm acting as an advisor to the board. But, you know, I really would like to see the consultation over the course of the next week or so to give PFS members the opportunity to have a view. Mm-hmm. Richard, do you have any uh, thoughts on on, on the consul- the issue of the consultation that um, Sarah raised? Uh, well, only the fact that the articles are really drafted very badly because there's no it's not there's nothing after that. So you would expect in the articles there's something after that to say, well, we'll have a consultation period for thirty days and then. So whoever whoever drafted them, <laughs> uh, it's not great. You know, what's the point of having a 30-day consultation and then there's nothing after it? I think that the main – I mean, I totally agree with Sarah. I haven't got any sort of anything contentious to say, even though I'm not a member. Um, mm. I don't really want to see the PFS um, uh, not be there because, obviously, it does a, it does a great job. I just think it's um, – as Sarah said over the, over these, over the last few years um, – I think it's just it, the relationship doesn't appear to be working very well. I mean, there's there's two points I'd really raise that it, that, that I would ask. One is the issue you've got is is the Articles of Association is a binding contract between the company and the members and the members themselves. So I appreciate the members not might not be happy, but they've got to take on board that those articles contractually bind them. And they can't just say, well, we're not at, we don't like them. You know, we don't like the directors. You, the fact, you can do this with directors. I, I appreciate that. I think there's a, a legal and moral issue. And I think we'd all agree with the moral issue. What the CII is doing is not exactly great. But legally, again, you know, you, if you don't like to be, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't like what they're doing, then you don't like the contract, then leave the contract, leave the PFS. Would That would be a sort of a blunt point. I think the second point really is as well, the, the articles do say, that each year that the board should get rid of that surplus. I think this is a question I would ask is there's a huge surplus accumulated over many years. I don't know how many years they are, but it's quite a few years. If that surplus had been used every year and got rid of in, in, in some way, 
and then there wasn't there was you know there wasn't this great big amount of money sat there you know that that would um it's kind of maybe solve this issue. And it, I think that's one of the things the CIO is pointing out when it keeps saying about, you know, the board hasn't done this about the articles because the articles clearly say you should get rid of the surplus every year. So I don't know why 19 million is accumulated. And one question I would ask if I was going to join the PFS is why is the 19 million pounds stuck in the bank account? Um, very briefly, just to, just to, I suppose, as we as we approach the end of this, um, how sustainable in, in in the long term do you think the the relationship uh, between the the PFS and the CIA is, and how um, you know it, how can you you know there are talks so there are people talking about a split about whether the PFS can can go off on its own but you know I don't know if that's realistic or not but how is there how how would how is there a way back in terms of relationship for the for the CIA and the PFS? Sir? I think you know um, I think. Where we sit today, I, th I think it's very clear that, you know, it, it, the relationship being played out in public is very damaging for both organisations now. Um, I think, you know, there has been a lot said and a lot shared. And I think it's, um, it, it's not good for either organization what i would what i would like to see is you know and and whilst i was president i always acted in good faith of um trying to find a way through it that was mutually acceptable to both organizations um and i spent many hours um with that sole focus i really do genuinely believe that at the current time um, kind of both organisations need each other, if that makes sense. The PFS, as it stands today, is not in a position to, shall we say, effectively up sticks and either go it alone or find find another home um, because there's, there's too much at risk for the membership that's my personal view you know um, SPS for example CPD yeah you can find CPD elsewhere exams yes you can find exams elsewhere but there are some intrinsic parts of the relationship I I am an advocate for um, because of kind of like the divergence of the two sectors that I spoke about earlier i'm an advocate for uh finding a way for the pfs to have a greater degree of autonomy within the corporate structure with the cii the pfs needs to get its voice back um by that, I mean um, with key stakeholders, regulatory decision makers. Um, over the course of the last 18 to 24 months, we I, I, it's my personal view that we have kind of lost that voice um, and the, the membership are looking for us to have that voice. We, may, we have made significant strides over the years um, in raising awareness around personal finance with consumers. And I would love to see that continue. Ultimately, long term, and you know, by long term, I'm I, you know, I'm not talking about 2023, probably not even 2024 or 25, but there is the possibility that, um, you know, the PFS could be in a position to stand alone as its own professional membership body for the personal finance um, profession. 
that will require an incredible amount of work to get to that place. You know, ultimately, this profession, I love it. You know, I love I love what we do. And I think it has a really, really important part in society. And the PFS is representative of our profession. So I'd love to see a way in which, you know, we can continue and we can continue to thrive. Um, but right now, I, I would like to see a way in which this is worked through I do believe and I've publicly stated it I do believe that an EGM would be appropriate for the membership to have their say um, and how that's constructed we are because sadly Caroline um, president of the you know current president of the personal finance society resigned last week we are now in a position where the cii do hold the majority kind of by default because of um caroline having to step down as a member director so in some ways i'd like to see that perhaps whilst we go through this phase of consultation and um and, and trying to find a way through um a, a degree of appropriate coexistence that um, the CII um, perhaps level it out so that we are having these conversations um, on an even playing field because by default they now currently have the majority. Mm -hmm. Richard, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I would pretty much agree with, um, with what Sarah's just said, really. I mean, I think I think the main point to pick up on is, is this playing out in public is quite ridiculous because the CII is accusing the PFS of, uh, you know, corporate governance failings and, and all sorts of things. And then, and then, it, and then it's, it's playing out itself by giving info, you know, private information out itself about uh, what it's doing with the PFS. And it, it, I mean, to, to state that it thinks it's subsidiary, uh, the governance is uh, is failing. That's crazy. Why would you say that in public if if it if it really thinks that the governance of its of its subsidiary has got an issue, then it should be addressing those issues. I mean, I, I don't see why you would turn around and suddenly and make that statement. It makes the CII look ridiculous. I mean, and then they're failing on all their directors' duties because they're outwardly saying, "Well, you know." Um, we're doing it because of this reason. That shouldn't be played out in public. I think the way Caroline, I don't know Caroline very well, but I mean, the way that's played out is, is again, is, it's not great for the CII because um, without being disrespectful, I'm sure Sarah agree. I mean, that most people on the PFS board are just very passionate about financial planning. They're not corporate animals in that sense. You know, so, um, you know, they're getting dragged into, I mean, Caroline, again, a, a reputation, I mean, hopefully isn't being... Uh, affected but it, it will be by what's what the CII has done so I think I would agree with Sarah's point this needs to be stopped and I, I don't think that the CI and possibly PFS you know shouldn't make any more statements about what's going on in, ter in terms of the members I think I'll, I'll go back to my point contractually you're obligated by the articles association if you don't like it then you've got one option unfortunately I think it really it, it, it's it's where it sounds on social media. It can it comes down to the money. It, it, if the PFS is just going to have a majority on the board, I don't see that's really going to. As long as they're not going to interfere strategically in what the PFS wants to do, then that's not really going to affect anything. I don't see why they would do that. I think it all comes down to the money. Um, but effectively, what I would do if I was on the PFS board is I would I would allow the majority of directors 
in the articles because otherwise, if you don't do that, it's not a subsidiary. That's the reason it was done. But I would, I would, I would, I would ask them to change the articles of association. That so things like uh, winding up uh, strategic implementation, uh, a three-year strategic plan to move the PFS away from the CII. All these big major decisions that the PFS board want to make should not be done. That should be done a 50-50 voting system so everybody gets a free vote it's not all weighted over to uh the cii and that comes back to what i wrote about a few weeks ago is how poorly these articles of association were initially drafted this is the problem if you can keep you, the, uh, the the cii can have full control of the board let them carry on but we want these five or six bullet points we want control over these and you can't implement you can't just tell us to wind up because you can appoint a, appoint a board. Mm. So I would say, you want the 19 million, take the 19 million. You're going to, it's yours anyway. There's nothing we can do about that, if that's the issue. Uh, but we want you to change these articles of association with cons consultation with our members so that we've got certain rights over the PFS. And, and again, one of them would be if the PFS wanted to move away from the CII. Not maybe, maybe still stop as a subsidiary, but it, it would be just in a, in a partnership agreement as opposed to an, a company law agreement. And that's where I would be going with it. Hello, uh, we're just going to uh, interrupt uh, the podcast here very quickly. We thought we would give the CAI uh, the opportunity to respond to the comments that uh, Sarah and Richard made uh, about uh, the fact that this was being carried out in public and the um, the manner in which uh, the, the CIO has taken action. Uh, a CIO spokesman uh, respond, told us uh, board action came at the end of many months of hard work with the PFS, including independent mediation. Uh, the CIO said governance concerns were raised repeatedly with the PFS, but sadly no uh, reply or action was taken. Uh, the CIO said it thought long and hard before taking the decision the decision and on balance felt it was the right thing to do to communicate directly and transparently with members anyway back to the rest of the podcast yeah and i think you know richard you touched on some good points there around the articles association and definitely you know i think one of the you know I, over the last 18 months two years i know those articles inside out now i've never known uh, uh, articles um so well um but i think you know it I think this has demonstrated that a review of the Articles of Association is required, um, but obviously kind of like all parties need to agree to any changes in the articles. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I agree and I've, I, you know, I've made these statements publicly that mm. um, I think um, finding a way of kind of coexistence with that relationship but the PFS having greater autonomy is, you know, is is probably the best way forward for everybody as we sit here today. Mm. And by autonomy, I think it's important to say not completely independent of the CII group at this stage. I think I made it clear earlier, but kind of a, a, a greater degree of autonomy around the services that it provides to its members um, and indeed its voice and, and kind of how it can act as a company um, would be a good way forward for both organisations. Mm -hmm. well, yes, as, as you've both alluded to, it's it's in the best interest of the profession that uh, this uh, this dispute is is is, is, is tackled. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully that can be done. Um, Sarah, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Richard, uh, thank you very much for your time, uh, and thank you uh, very much for listening and tuning in again uh, next week for the next edition uh, of the FT Advisor Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>